Well, welcome again. We were a part of right in the middle of a new series that we've been going through about loving God with all that we are. It's based on Mark chapter 12, verse 30, about loving the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. Today we're going to look at uh, loving God with our mind. We're going to spend a second week on that. And I think it's really important that we focus in uh, on God directing us and loving, enabling us to love him with all of who we are. If you remember from before, we looked at the idea about giving all of ourselves and loving God with all of ourselves, spirit, soul, and body. And we talked about a particular order, that that's the order we should flow, that the spirit should be in the lead, and that's directing our soul, our mind, will, and emotions. And that'll lead to directing our body and not the reverse. So I had... I had a diagram up here that kind of depict that, but I wanted to show you something different. And uh, this is another way to kind of depict what we just talked about, with our spirit leading our soul, which is our mind, will, and emotions. And when our spirit leads our soul, leads our thinking, and leads our will, and leads our emotions, it leads to what I call the, the on the very right, which is the mind of Christ, the will of God, and the heart of God. So if your mind is being led by the Spirit, then you're operating with the mind of Christ. If your will is in alignment with God, then you are experiencing the will of God. If your emotions are in line with God, then you're experiencing the heart of God. So when we look at our spirit leading our soul, this is another way to picture it. This is another practical way that we can look at and to see how our spirit leads our soul. Okay, and this is really important because a lot of things in the Bible, it's not clear how those things actually look in practical life, in everyday life. Take, for example, this passage in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 12 says, So then, brothers and sisters, we are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the uh, flesh, you are going to die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons and daughters of God. Okay, so here Paul talks about in Romans chapter 8, two things. It's saying you're not to walk by the Spirit, by the flesh, but you're supposed to walk by the Spirit. Okay, so that's Something that he repeats again and again in Romans and all throughout, the, all throughout the New Testament. But how do you do that? Practically, what does that look like to do that? Well, if you look back at this picture, that the, what the, the section all the way on the right is what it looks like to walk by the Spirit. This is what it looks like when the Spirit is in the lead, when it's dictating your thoughts and dictating your choices and dictating your emotions. That's what it looks like practically to walk by the Spirit. What does it look like to, to operate it from the flesh? It's when your soul is in the lead. It's when your body is in the lead. Those things are dictating your thoughts and your choices and your emotions. So it's a very practical way. I remember this was several years ago. I was in service and um, my, the senior pastor of our church, who was kind of my mentor, he was up uh, giving a message. And then during the message, he all of a sudden, he changed. All of a sudden, he just changed his message, and he did something totally different. And then I was talking to him afterwards, and I thought, this was really powerful what happened. And I can't remember exactly what he said or what he did, but it was totally off script. He was just doing something else. And so I asked him afterwards, like, what led you to do that? And he said, I don't know. I just felt like the Spirit prompting me to go in this certain direction. 
And um, I started asking him some more questions about that, and it was like this verse in Romans chapter 8. He felt like he was just led by the Spirit. And so I asked him, how do you feel like you are led by the Spirit? You know, and he says, he's thought about that, he's thinking about that, thinking about that, and he said, I don't know. <laughs> it's just intuitive sense I have that I sense the Lord leading me in this way or that way. And for me, there's different personality types, but he, there's like uh, intuitive kind of people, and there's more like step-by-step -step kind of people. I'm more of a step-by-step -step person, right? A very processed, like this, A, then goes to B, and then goes to C. That's kind of why the way my mind operates. So when he said, I don't know, I just kind of sensed that the Lord, that wasn't helpful for me, right? And so when I look at this kind of diagram, this is a little bit more helpful for me. And even for the intuitive people, I think this is helpful because if you can think about it and understand it clearly, then you can be intentional about being led by the Spirit. And so when we look at this diagram about the Spirit leading our soul, our mind, our will, and our emotions, it has to be practical. It can't be just in theory that we're going to say that we want to live by the Spirit. What does that mean? How does that play out in our life? And so when we look at this, we looked at what does it mean to have the mind of Christ? We looked at that last week. We looked at it about God directing our thoughts. And that's how one way that we can have the mind of Christ. This week, we're going to look at another passage that talks about how we can do that. So let's, um, oh, it's not working here. If we can forward that to the Second Corinthians, there we go. Second Corinthians 10, okay, so let's look at this passage. It's another one that talks about our thinking, okay? It says, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powered for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying arguments and all arrogance raised against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Okay, so when you look at this passage, it's talking about warfare, right? It's saying we have weapons in warfare. In other translations, it says we have weapons that are not according to this world. It's not the way that the world battles. We have different weapons, but they are divinely powerful. These are powerful weapons that we have. Where is the warfare happening? It's in our thoughts. There's a battle in our own thoughts uh, that are taking place. It reminds me of Ephesians 6 when it talks about our battles not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and the principalities. These are things that are unseen, that this is where the real battle is happening. And if we can understand this, this will be very helpful for us. So when we look at this passage that talks about us doing warfare, it's talking about our warfare in our thinking. So when we look at verse 5, it says, we are destroying arguments and arrogance raised up against the knowledge of God. These are thoughts that go contrary to God. These are thoughts that are really not true. These are lies that we've believed in and we bought into that they're really dictating the way that we're living. But what are we supposed to do when we face that? We're supposed to take all those thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. Make them align with God, align with the truth, align with who he is, align with the, what the Bible says. Okay, so this is very important. Okay, and this is going to be a principle that we're going to see time and again. We're going to go over this many times. But this is a new way of thinking, I think, for a lot of people is when we look at what uh, Paul talks about here in uh, 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 5, there's two things happening. It's one is recognizing the lie, 
recognizing what is not true, recognizing what is against what God, who God's nature is and what he says. And then it's taking that cop captive and replacing it with those thoughts that are aligned with God, that are obedient to Christ, that follow what the Bible says. Okay, so recognize the lie, replace it with the truth. There is a battle happening there. So let me give you, let me give you an example. And this has to do with our identity, okay? It's something that I feel like that's very crucial for us as believers. It's very central and very core to who we are, is to understand our identity of who we are in Christ. And I believe that this is one of the things that's under attack today, that our identity is under attack, like who we are, who are we, right? And I think that this is one battleground that we're facing right now in society is a question for who we are. So I remember the Lord speaking to me one day about um, who I am. And then he asked me this question. He said, do you see yourself the way that I see you? Do you see yourself the way that the Bible says is true about you? And it's not the first time he asked me. He's asked me this question many times. And I had to be honest with the Lord. I said, no, I don't think the way that I see myself matches how you see me. Then I, I kind of try to think about this and why I struggled with this. Why, why was that the case? Why do the way I see myself not match how God sees me or how the scripture tells uh, about my new identity in Christ? And I think one of the things is because I think I believed a lie. And the lie is what I call false humility. And I think a lot of Christians, we do this. We have this self-deprecating kind of language that we use. Oh, I'm nothing. Oh, I'm no one. You know, I remember like giving a message and people coming up to me afterwards and saying, oh, that was such a great message. Oh, no, no, that was all God. I'm nothing. I'm no one. And da, da, da. And it sounds very holy or righteous. But really, is that true? Is that true? Did God make me? Is that, is that who I am in Christ now? Is that how God recreated me? To be nothing? To be no one? To be dirt? To be junk? No. I don't think so. When we look at the Bible, what does the Bible say is true about us? That we're righteous, that we're holy, that we're set apart, that we're royal priesthood, that we're sons and daughters of God, of the living king, that we're fellow heirs with Christ. Does that sound like no one and nothing? But yet we fought and believed into this false humility to say that we're no one and nothing. Um, I remember listening to this message by uh, a pastor, and he was sharing about how he was in this group of other pastors, and he was sharing this similar kind of message about this lie that we've come to believe about uh, this false humility that we're carrying. And uh, one of the pastors kind of raised his hand, and he objected to what he was saying. He's like, wait a minute. I don't really believe what you're saying is true. You know? And this guy, he was like, he had like two PhDs and all these different things, and he was like sharing about how uh, what this pastor was sharing was really not true. And so the pastor was just kind of listening, listening to all the objections this, this other pastor was raising. And uh, behind him, there was like this picture, this, this picture that was up on the wall. And so he was talking to his fellow pastor and said, what if you were the artist of this picture? this beautiful kind of painting, right? And I'm looking at this painting and say, this painting is a piece of junk, okay? It, I don't know why they would put it up there, right? It belongs in the garbage can, right? I think that you should take this right down and throw it away. 
And, I, and he said, what if I were to say that about your painting? What would that say to you? He'd say, well, I would be really upset. I'd be really offended that you would say that about my work. And then he said, isn't that what happens when we talk down about ourselves? What does that say about our creator? What does that say about the one who made us? What does it say when we're continually to downcast ourselves and put us down under the guise of this false humility? What is that saying about God? What is it saying about who he is? What is it saying about his nature? What is it saying about what he's done in Christ? What is it saying about us being a new creation? In 2 Corinthians 5.17, talks about us being a new creation. What does that mean? Then the Lord started addressing something, and it's interesting because this is really true what I found is like, when you are foregoing the positive things, sometimes you just let it go. Right? Versus like if you're disobeying and doing some negative things, you want to address it. You're saying that's not good. But if you're just like missing out on some positive things, sometimes it's easy to let it go. But when the Lord was asking me this question, he said, do you see yourself the way that I see you? Do you believe in what I'm saying? And when I said no, he asked me a different question that changed everything. He said, if you're not believing me, then who are you believing? And then I thought about it. Well, if I'm not believing God, then I'm really, I'm believing Satan. And then everything changed, right? It was one thing when I didn't believe in who I was and wasn't receiving all the blessings and wasn't receiving all these good things. But then the real reality of it is that I was believing what Satan believes. And I said, that can't happen. I can't do that. I can't continue aligning my thinking and my thoughts with the enemy. I can't keep aligning to lies that are not true, that are, are against God. Just like Satan is against God. These thoughts are against him. These thoughts are not true. We can't keep aligning our thinking and keep adopting these things and allowing them to keep persisting in our mind and our thoughts. We have to do like 2 Corinthians chapter 10 says. We have to take all of these thoughts captive and to replace them with the truth. So when we looked at my example, what was the lie? The lie was that I was nothing, that I'm dirt, that I'm unworthy, that I'm all of these things. And what do I do to take it captive is that I replace it with the truth. Okay, and this is where it takes a change of thinking because a lot of times we want to handle the lie or handle something bad by battling the bad, right? And let me give you an example of that. Let's say you're anxious about something. You're anxious about a project or you're anxious about the future or you're anxious about, about different things. How do you approach tackling that? How do you handle the anxiety? I think the natural tendency is you try to tackle whatever's causing you to be anxious, right? You try to fix the problem. You try to fix your relationship. You try to fix whatever project you're going through. You try to work harder at those things. Does that help solve anxiety? I think a lot of times it makes anxiety worse when you go more into it. That's not the biblical way. The biblical way is what we see here is about exchanging. It's what we see in Romans 12, 21, where it says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil by doing good. That's how we overcome evil. We don't go overcome evil by battling evil. We replace it with what's good. We replace it with the truth. This is very important. This is very important for us and a principle that we have to keep on 
learning and learning to try to be able to have the mind of Christ. We can't tackle evil by battling evil. We replace it with good. Okay, and this is really important. When we think about sin in our life, because sin is a substitute. Sin is a substitute. Sin is a substitute because we don't have the real thing and we're not satisfied that sin becomes appealing to us. Sin is a substitute for having the real thing. If we understand this, then we know that the best way to tackle sin is to not try to battle sin. The way that you battle worry is to say, it's not to say, Stop worrying. Stop thinking about that. Stop thinking about that. Stop worrying. Stop, stop being angry. Stop lusting. Stop doing whatever. If you continually think about that and try to battle it from there, that's, lo- that's a losing proposition. That's not the correct way. You're supposed to do it by replacing it with the real thing, being filled by the Lord, being filled by the Spirit, being completely full and satisfied. Then sin has no allure to you. We have to have a change in thinking of how we approach that we see here that Paul outlines in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 is that we have to recognize what thoughts are coming against God that are not true, that are lies that we believe that we're adopting in our thinking. We have to replace that, taking those thoughts captive and replacing it with those that are obedient to Christ, that follow Christ, where God is ruling, God is reigning, like those things are true. We have to make that switch. And it's not easy because the negative things shout really loudly, right? It grabs our attention. It's always in our face. And it's easy to think the best way to do is to try to address those things instead of replacing it. You know, it's interesting. Um, I didn't know that the Secret Service is, is the department that was in, in charge of this. But there's a government, there's a government agency that's in charge of uh, identifying counterfeit. Okay, counterfeit currency. Okay, it's a secret service. And when the secret service tries to identify counterfeits and to go after them, do you know how they do that? Do you think that they go and looked at all the different counterfeits that are happening out in, uh, in the criminal world and they go and look at all these different counterfeits? That's not how they do it. You know how they identify the counterfeits? By studying the real thing. They study the actual currency so well that it's so obvious when there's a currency, when there's a counterfeit. They study it really well. They look at, they look at all the things that are going on, all the different threads, all the different patterns, all the different feel, the weight of the paper, all those different. They study the, the real thing so well that they, when they see a counterfeit, it's so obvious. This is what they teach. They teach how to do that is to really be able to Identify the counterfeits by looking at the real thing, okay? And that's a similar kind of analogy to what we're talking about here, is if we really want to identify the lies, that we have to understand the truth. That's why it's so important to be in the Word. That's why it's so important to read the Bible and to see what God says is true. You have to understand the truth. And when you really understand who God is, when you really understand what the Word says, then when a counterfeit comes, it's really obvious to you. You're saying, this is not true. This is not right. I can't be thinking this way. But if we are totally disconnected from the truth, then those things have a place to sit in with us. And this is where we need to address and to have a shift in our thinking. We need to change our approach. When things are happening in our life and when things are going on that are negative, how are we going to approach it? Are we going to use it with our own flesh? 
Are we going to battle with our own wisdom and understanding and our own willpower? Are we going to try to just overcome those things? Are we going to try to tackle those things directly? Are we going to try to overcome this situation, this situation or this person or this circumstance or this project or, or this things that are happening in your workplace? Are we going to, that's how we're going to tackle the, the weight that we feel? Is that how we're going to tackle the anxiety that we're facing? Is that going to, how we're going to tackle all the insecurity that we're feeling in our life and all those things? Or are we going to replace it? Or are we going to see a new way? Because the enemy is coming and wanting you to come and invite you to focus on the negative. That's where he lives. That's where he lives and reigns. He lives in the negative. He lives with those sin. He lives with all those things contrary to God. He's inviting you, come and spend time here. Come spend time here and all the negative. Come spend time, keep battling all of those things and, and not realizing that God has already overcome all those things. God has already overcome sin. He's already come those battles. He's already done the battle for you. So Satan has powerless against what God has done. His only way is to forget what God has done. You need to battle it. You need to go tackle it. You need to try to overcome it. You need to try to do those things yourself. That's the only option that he has. He can't overdo what God, what God has done. His only option is to get you to think differently. There's a war happening, and it's happening right here in our thinking. But we have weapons that are divinely powerful. Divinely powerful to break the power of lies that have been present in your life, to break the powers and these patterns that you've had in your life that keep repeating over and over and over. It's like a broken record. It keeps happening again and again and again, and you keep thinking, how come I can't overcome it? How come I can't change it? How come I can't experience something differently? Why can't I break through? Why can't I be free from this? And I think one of the reasons why is we're operating by a different playbook. We're not operating according to how the Bible and how God sets things, things up. You don't battle the negative by directly trying to go after it and overcome it. You battle it by replacing. We need to replace. We need to be full. We need to be wholly satisfied with the Lord. We need to get filled with him. We need to experience his presence and his pleasure and his joy. We need to be walking by the Spirit and allowing his Spirit to dictate our thinking. We need to recognize that God's speaking to us all the time. We need to recognize how he's guiding our thinking and our thoughts. We need to recognize that all throughout the day, not just when we're praying, not just when we're reading the Bible, that God is always directing us and leading us and guiding us. The more you can operate from the mind of Christ, the more you can recognize the things that are true and the things that are not true. Just like in my example, how did I break free and how did I start experiencing who I am in Christ? God had to reveal it. He started speaking to me. He started guiding my thinking. He was asking me questions. And when he was asking me questions, it wasn't an audible voice. It's not like I heard like this booming voice out of the sky. Sam, do you believe what I say is true about you? It was not. It was in my thinking. God was guiding my thoughts. This is what it means to have the mind of Christ, that the Spirit is leading and guiding your thinking and directing your thinking. Pay attention. Talk to God. Ask him questions. In, when you ask him questions, you have to believe he's going to answer you. 
When you have different thoughts, like we said last week, not every thought that we have is from God, but when you pray and you ask God questions, pay attention to what you're thinking after that. You have to go with faith to believe that when you pray and you ask God something, that he wants to respond to you. So when you're praying and you're seeing how God is leading your thinking afterwards, pay attention. It's God leading you and guiding your thinking. He's speaking to you. Just like he did in Peter that we talked about last week, that this is not revealed by flesh and blood, but by his Father who is in heaven. This is the change that we need to have to operate from the mind of Christ to allow the Spirit to be in control. And when we are, we'll start loving God with all of who we are, all of our thoughts, all of the things that we believe, all those things. And we'll see the abundant life that God really wants and desires for us. Let's pray. So, Father, we're so thankful that we do have the Holy Spirit. We're so thankful that we have the Spirit that is constantly communicating with us and abiding with us. And I pray that you would give us the grace to be able to hear and to understand and to keep engaging you and asking you. And when we do, I know that we'll find not just you, but we'll find life and you'll recognize those things that are not from you. And I pray that when we recognize the things that are not from you, that we don't feel like we have to battle those, that we want to replace it. So even now as we're praying, are there things heavy on your mind, heavy on your heart? Ask the Lord right now, what do you want to give me in exchange? What do you want to replace it with? Is it anxiety that you're feeling? Is it insecurity? Is it depression? Is it, what is it, whatever you're feeling, ask the Lord, what do you want to give me in replace? What do you want to exchange that for? So I pray that you would do that right now. You'd give us what we need. We need more of you and what you bring. We need more of you and what only you can bring. So I pray that you'd speak to us right now. In Jesus' name, amen.